All right, Second Chronicles 25. In the um, second to the last section here, the kings of Judah, and on the bottom half of the page, so we don't even see the title, but, but who, which nation are, are these kings on the left the kings of? Judah. Judah, that's right. And which nation do we leave out in Chronicles? Israel. Israel. We don't cover them except when they're the enemy. <laughs> which they are in some of our stories today. Um, so we're, um, we're looking at Amaziah. Um, he's a question mark king, meaning good but not all good. <laughs> and that's a sad story. Um, there's, there's several of these. There's just a so unfortunate. You just wonder, how can a person have faith now and not have faith then? But that's what he is. It just um, His father had had started well. The, the, whoever pre- prepared this didn't put a question mark in front of Joash. I, I think I would have because he started out great. But only when? When the high priest was... Yeah, during the life of the high priest, the man that, that had raised him from the time he was like a year old. Um, when when Jehoiada the high priest died, then he turned bad. Maybe he was bad all the time, and just I don't. But anyway, um, but Amaziah it says in verse two he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. And, and I think that's the key that he, he didn't have a whole heart devoted to God. But the first story is good. It, it shows him. Um, Humbly doing what God wants, he 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 decided he was going to try to get back um, Edom. They, down here, they it, the, the things went back and forth as to whether Judah controlled Edom or not, and they didn't at this point. But he wanted to, so he, he raised a bunch of of armed men, and he got a hundred thousand in a kind of a strange way. What was that? Hired them. Yeah, he hired them from what nation? Israel. From Israel. Yeah. Paid a hundred talents of silver for them, and then a man of God said, "That's not going to work. Um, you're, you're hiring um, people that the Lord's not with." And what was his problem? What was Amaziah's problem with that? I just spent a hundred talents on these guys. What about that? And what was the answer? <laughs> well, no, that wasn't the answer. <laughs> yeah. The Lord has much more to give you. Yeah, that's, isn't that great? The Lord has much more to give you than this. You know, that's peanuts when it, when it comes to God. And so what does Amaziah do? He obeyed. I mean, this is just great. He sent them home. So this is faith. I mean, this reminds us of, you know, like Gideon when God said, you've got too many people, send people back. Of course, it, not quite the same proportion, but... Um, it looks good. And so then they went went down, it says, to the Valley of Salt, which is um, is down here at Edom. And and they and did they win? God gave them the victory, which means they got lots of loot, probably lost more than a hundred talents of silver, all that doesn't say. And 
Um, he came back, and uh, what did he do? He brought the God's seed on his back and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. <laughs> you, you read this and you say, huh? <laughs> um, and so then God sends a prophet to tell him, does this make sense? And what's the question he asks the prophet? Who made you an advisor? Yeah. Who made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? So, the prophet stopped. Notice in the next verse, Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel. He took counsel, but not with the counselor from God. <laughs> and this, this reminds me of the story with, with Ahab's prophets and, and how God had, had people... Micaiah pictures God with all these spirits around him giving advice, and Ahab has all his prophets around him giving advice. The one, the one's going to win, the other's going to lose. And the, and the counselors of Amaziah are going to lead him in the wrong direction. Now, before we get to the next story, we have to go back to verse 13, though. The troops whom Amaziah sent back, these Israelites... They raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horah and struck down 3,000 of them and plundered much spoil. You have to understand, when someone was hired, when troops are hired to be, um, you know, to fight in a war back in those days, the money you paid them was not all they got. They were, they were in it for the loot. And when, when they won the battle, they got to loot the place. And so by sending these guys back, they didn't get, they didn't get what they considered to be their just desserts. So on the way home, they started raiding cities that belonged to Judah, and they got their loot that way. And, and I think that's why Amaziah, in verse 14, says to the king of Israel, come let us face each other. He's mad. I mean, you, you guys have attacked my cities. I'm not putting up with this. But keep in mind, he's turned aside from the counsel of, of the Lord, and God's going to defeat him. Um, so the king of Israel sends him a really insulting response. Um, I mean, it was what he what he warned him about was exactly the truth, but it wasn't the sort of thing that was going to calm him down. And so, in verse twenty, Amaziah would not listen, for it was from God that he might deliver them into the hand of Joash, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So they fought at Beth Shemesh, which is is here in the area of Judah, and who won? <coughs> Israel won. In fact, they captured um, Amaziah. And so then he went to Jerusalem. What did he do when he got to Jerusalem? Tore down the wall. Tore down the wall. And that's just terrible. I mean, you leave, you, a city without a wall in those days was just in terrible shape. Then they looted the place, took hostages, and off they went. And of course, Amaziah was pretty much finished as a king. Um, you, I think this is still true today, but back in those days it was certainly true. Um, people are willing to follow a king as long as he's a winner. <laughs> if he's a loser, they're not happy with it. And so it says in verse 27, they conspired against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish. 
which was is the city down here from Jerusalem down to Lakish, but they suddenly got him there and killed him, and that was the end. And wow, um, you just have to scratch your head and wonder at this. Um, the next guy, it, he's one that's a lot easier to understand, and very admirable for the most part. Um, Uzziah. Uh, he's also called Azariah, so uh, our author gives both names. And the first thing it mentions he did in verse 2, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah. Now, Eloth here is it, it, spelled Elath, but it's the same way. It's on the Gulf of Aqaba off the Red Sea. Um, this, the, apparently, I mean, his father had conquered Edom, but Apparently, he hadn't conquered all the way down to, to Eloth. So Hezekiah takes Eloth. And this is kind of, this is a foreshadowing of, of the success that he's going to have uh, in, in his reign. He, um, if you've got that port, though, it's going to get you some money because that's a big trading port. That was the port that Solomon had sent out the, the uh, ships to, um, to Ophir where they got the gold uh, and other things. Um, so th- this is this is um, he's he's developing the the um, commercial capabilities of the country and and he did very well um, in verse six he warred against the Philistines and he broke down the wall of Gath um, then in verse um, eight the Ammonites gave him tribute verse nine he built towers in Jerusalem with the corner gate the valley gate etc he's obviously building the wall back. The wall that got torn down in his father's days, and, and he's making the place much more um, uh, secure. He, um, in verse ten, uh, he had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country, so he's going into farming. He he's really raising the prosperity of the country, and God is on his side because he is seeking God. Um, but verse 16 starts with the word but. <laughs> but when he became strong. And it's so sad. Um, God had given him all these victories. God had given him this prosperity. And the, and the country was just doing so well under his guidance. But it's such a temptation. Prosperity is such a problem. And pride. And what did he decide he was going to do? Yeah, he was going to burn the incense in the temple. Now that was something that in the, in the nations around them, it was very common for the kings to do the work of, of a priest. In fact, I think even in the northern kingdom, when, uh, when the, you remember when the young, the young man of God went up there to prophesy against the altar, Jeroboam was standing there at the altar. He was the one who was officiating. And in, in, in most of these nations... The king was the top. He was the high. He was the highest priest. And Uzziah felt like he's done everything else. He should do this too. And he learned the hard way that you you better do what God wants you to do. What happened to him when he went into the temple? He got leprosy. And what was the rule? in Judah for a leper. You had to live outside the community. Had to live outside the community. So you can't be king if you're like that. 
I mean, you, you have to stay away from everybody and say unclean, unclean when they come near. Um, so the, he, he lived in a house outside town, cut off from the house of the Lord. That was the judgment. Have we had anyone in the past that's been judged by being struck with leprosy? Yeah, Moses' sister Miriam was struck with leprosy when she rebelled against Moses. Said, "Hey, you know, God's spoken to us too. We're not that was temporary." I mean, that Moses pl- prayed for her, and she yeah. and she was restored after a week. Um, but Isaiah didn't get restored. And you may even recall another case in the days of Elisha when um, Naaman was cured, and his his servant Gehazi thought he could get some money off from Naaman. And he ended up with more than just money. Um, so we come then to his son, um, Jotham, which our office put with a question mark. I meant to do more research on this. I, I looked both in Kings and Chronicles and I couldn't find anything he'd done wrong. So I don't know why our author put a question mark on him. I may have missed something, though. I should have spent... I, I, there was one other place I intended to look, and I just forgot. But um, at least for as far as the chronicler is concerned, he was fine. Um, he, um, uh, in, in verse 5, it says he fought with the, um, the king of the Ammonites, which is over here on the east side of the Jordan. Um, now the fact that he could, the fact that he was fighting with the king of the Ammonites implies that he had already taken some of the land that had belonged to Israel, since in between Ammon and Judah was that this part was actually Israel, um, and the Ammonite king had to give him a hundred talents of silver plus some other food for tribute. And it just says in verse six, Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. So he, he did very well. We don't, but you know, his story is pretty short. And that brings us to Ahaz. What, what, what kind of king was Ahaz? I see someone shaking their head. Terrible. Um, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the Baals. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben Hinnom and burned his sons in fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Just terrible. Now we'll get, we'll have more of him and his story when we do the book of Isaiah, um, because this was this is the period of time when Isaiah was prophesying, and Isaiah dealt with him very directly, and you'll learn more about his character. But he just not only did not did he not have faith in God, he didn't want to have faith in God. <laughs> he was just determined. I mean. His, his father and his grandfather both had been people of faith and he's just determined to do it his own way. And, and terrible things happen. I mean, look at this in verse 5. Um, the king of Aram defeated him and they carried a huge number of captives to Damascus, which, which is way up here. Um, then Pekah, who was the king of the northern kingdom in Israel, this is getting very close to the end of the northern kingdom. But they still they still are, have a force to be reckoned with. They, they came down and attacked him. And they killed how many people in verse 6? 120,000. 120,000. And in verse 8, how many captives did they take? 200,000. 200, now these weren't captives from the army. These were mostly women and, and children. 
they did, they'd raided the, the cities and just took all these people. What are they, what are they going to do with them? Slaves. Yeah, make them slaves. Um, but, and here you have an amazing story because, I mean, they take them to the northern kingdom which has forsaken God for centuries. But a prophet tells them, what you're doing is terrible. Don't do that. And what do they do? They, <laughs> they send them back. <laughs> so, I mean, they're not completely gone. I mean, this is after the time of Elijah and Elisha. Um, and very likely, those two men ha- had something to do with the fact that there's still people in Israel who are paying attention to prophets of God. So not only did they send them back, but they, they treated them nicely. They gave them food. They, they clothed the ones that were, who didn't have enough clothes. And, and the ones who were too weak, they rode them on donkeys. They took them down to, to Jericho. I mean, it, it's... It's an amazing story. And, and when they got back to Judah, they're back in the nation where the king doesn't believe in God. <laughs> um, wow. Um, but then in verse 16, Ahaz figured out how to solve all of his problems. And what was that? Yeah, ask for Assyria for help. Now, in fact, um, you don't ask, you have to pay. And... and <clears throat> In, in another account, he, he stripped off the um, all the treasure, you know, the gold and everything from the temple and, and everything, and, and sent everything he could, he could scrounge up to the king of Assyria. And um, then, to make matters even worse, um, in verse twenty-three, he sacrifices the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him. And in Kings, it tells about how he actually had an altar built in the temple that was after the pattern that he'd seen in Damascus. And, and he, I mean, he just... It says in verse 24, he closed the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. This was just disaster. It was just terrible. But his son was Hezekiah, and we've got a plus in front of him, just... Just a good man, and not that he's never made any mistakes, but um, he started well, he ended well. Um, and he, um, in verse 3, it says, In the first year of his reign, the first month, first month doesn't mean the first month he was king, it means the first month of the calendar year. I don't know how many months he'd been king before this, but the first month of the year, which, what's the famous feast that they had in the first month of the year? Passover, Passover. yeah. So here we are, very first month of the year. Um, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And because they'd been closed all the time, his, his father was, a, was king. And so then they have to cleanse uh, the temple. And because, you know, all, all these abominations have been brought in, idols, other things like that. Uh, so in verse 17, they started on the first day of the first month. On the eighth day of the month, they entered the porch of the Lord. I guess it took them that long just to get to the porch because they're having to clean out all the courtyard and everything of all the abominations. And finally, on the sixteenth day of the first month, they were done, and they told Hezekiah, we've cleansed the temple. Um, And so they had a a celebration. The rest of the chapter deals with this, this big memorial service commemorating the fact they've now opened the temple up again. And, but 
if they went from the 1st to the 16th, what did they miss? The Passover, because the Passover was on the 14th. What do you do when you miss the Passover? That they in the book of Numbers they had they'd had this same problem where some people had been unclean because of a dead body and, and they got to take it the fourteenth day of the second month. That's what they're going to do in chapter thirty. Uh, they're going to uh, have a big celebration of the Passover, and not only are they going to have the Passover down in Judah, but they went up into Israel and invited people too. What was the reaction they got in Israel? There was some enthusiasm. There, there was some, yes. Um, I'm trying to think here. Now in verse 10, they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. So that was enthusiasm in the wrong direction. But it says, nevertheless, some of them did come. And at this point, the northern kingdom has been so crippled by Assyria that they don't have these tribes over here. So there's no tribes come, no no visitors to the Passover from from the tribes of of Reuben or Gad, and and the northern tribes have also been carried off. According to Edersheim, there's only five tribes left, and, and they're all there were representatives from all five of those tribes who came to the Passover. Um, in verse 11, Manasseh and Zebulun, and down to verse 17 um, or 18 rather. Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar. Um, so these these people probably have these people from the northern kingdom would probably never ever observe the Passover, and I wouldn't even guarantee whether the people of Judah had before, given uh, what what the state had been at least in um, Ahaz's uh, during his sixteen years. Uh, I would assume that before that they've been celebrating it, but. This is a big time, and, and he's inviting all these people, and they have it in the second month, as, as we said, kind of the wrong time, but that it was an exception to the law. But they had another problem. Um, verse 17, there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Now, we have to understand, in the law of Moses, you had to, you had to be purified in order to eat the Passover, like if you were... If you had touched a dead body and hadn't purified yourself yet, you couldn't take the Passover. And, and that particular purification took seven days. You, you had to ha- ha- be sprinkled with holy water. I think it was on the third day, on the seventh day. And, and it, it had a ceremony for it. If you didn't do that, you weren't purified. That, you, know, you could wait you know, seven times, seven days, and you weren't purified if you hadn't gone through the ceremony. And of course, these people from the north, they've never done any of this stuff. They they are not they're not purified they're not in a in a, a ceremonial ceremonially clean state. How are they going to take the Passover? Well, they they ate it anyway. And at the end of verse eighteen, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, "May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary." So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. So you have a case here where they're sincerely trying to do what's right, but because of the situation they've been in for years, it's not right. And Hezekiah understands that he just asks the Lord to forgive them, and the Lord does. It's, it's a beautiful picture that we have of God in, in that story. So they celebrated the feast, 
And then in verse 20, I love this. They decided to celebrate another seven days. <laughs> so they had a 14-day feast here. Um, they were excited. In, um, in verse 26, So there was great joy in Jerusalem because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now, it doesn't mean they hadn't celebrated the Passover since the days of Solomon, but they hadn't celebrated it like this. It, it was just such a great time. Um, and then in chapter 31, when they finished that, what did they decide to do? Get rid of the idols. And this is great. So they started by cleansing the temple. Then they had the Passover. Then they're getting rid of, rid of idols. In fact, they get rid of idols even as far, even into the northern kingdom. Um, I assume, you know, probably from the towns where people had come down to the Passover, they got inspired and they went back and you know, helped destroy the t- idols out of their town. I, I don't think we have it here, but uh, someplace it says Hezekiah even destroyed the uh, Moses uh, <clears throat> uh, serpent that he had yes. because the people were worshiping. They were worshiping it, yes. So, um, yeah, they're really cleaning things out. It's really great. Um, and then, and then they, um, they got the people to start tithing again. The tithing was intended to, to support who? The well, workmen who were going to... Well, no, the, Le- the Levites and the priests... Yeah. Yeah, it was for the Levites and the priests. And they got, they got so much that they had to prepare rooms in the temple for it, to save it up for, for them. Um, and then after all this happens, in chapter 32, who shows up? Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Yeah. And you, you would think, wouldn't God protect his his servant who's been so faithful? Well, he is going to protect him. But it's going to be through faith. It's not just keep the enemy out. The enemy comes in and then he's going to see how um, God takes care of them. Um, now, Hezekiah apparently knew they were coming. And in verse 5, they decided to... Um, well, verse verses 4 and 5, they, they wanted to block up all the waterways out, the water sources outside the city. And when we were doing Kings, I showed you this, this picture here, where here you have outside the wall, you have a source of water. And they, they somehow covered it up to where the, the Assyrians couldn't find it. And they dug a tunnel. I assume we'd done this earlier, because digging that tunnel would have taken more than a, a matter of days. Right, because it's all through, wait, it's, few hundred feet through solid rock. I mean, it's, it's quite a, a, an operation. But they, they, they systematically went through and um, stopped up the springs that were outside the walls, stopped, tried to put a stop on anything that would help the Assyrians out there. And they, they, I think it may have even mentioned they strengthened, they strengthened the walls and, and, and got weapons ready. And... And then Hezekiah encouraged the people by saying, um, Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria. He says, With him, in verse 8, is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. And that's exactly what, what happened. The story in, in Chronicles is, is shorter than the one in Kings, although you, get, you pretty much get the whole picture here. Um, Sennacherib came, and he was fighting at Lachish uh, because... He's concerned about the Egyptians coming up, and so he needs he needs to make sure he's got these 
fortified cities on his side for when, when the enemy approaches. But he sends messengers back to Jerusalem, which was also a fortified city, and he didn't, he didn't have time to, to attack Jerusalem. So he sends these messengers to try to terrify them. And they made a serious mistake when they came to try to terrify the people of Judah. And what was that mistake they made? Notice all the people we've conquered. Their gods never protected them. Right. They insulted the Lord. That's what they did. They said, hey, the Lord, He can't do anything against us. Not a smart thing to say. And so the Chronicler shortens the story. In, in Kings you have two visits by these messengers, but the Chronicles just have one. And then verse 21, the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, etc. And the king of Assyria returned in shame to his own land. Um, then the, the author mentions just very briefly the one mistake Hezekiah made. Um, he doesn't go into detail, and you, you really need kings to understand this, but um, after he had been miraculously healed by God, the king of Babylon had sent messengers, and he had shown the messengers all of his treasures and and uh, it was more of a political thing than a spiritual thing and he was he was not walking in faith in God and Isaiah rebuked him for it um, but the chronicler doesn't have really any criticism he, he, he recognizes the, the, the mistake um, but he did humble himself in verse 26 and so he, he ended up fine mm. The next guy, who's the next guy? Manasseh. They don't come much worse than Manasseh. Nor do they come much longer in their reigns. He reigned for 55 years. And that's just terrible. We've never had an evil king reign that long in Judah before this. Um, and, it, and just the list, is just, it just it sounds like Ahaz all over again, all the terrible things he did. Um, I don't know if it mentions it in Chronicles, but it does in Kings that he he shed much innocent blood. Um, just terrible. But there's one thing in Chronicles that's never mentioned in Kings that is a big surprise, and what's that? He repented. Um, you, you read it in, in Kings, and, and there's no hint of that. But he repented. In, in verse 11... It says the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against him and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains and took him to Babylon. So here's the little Judah. Assyria comes in and grabs the guy and takes him all the way over here to Babylon. Now you would think that would be the last of him. But in Babylon he prayed to God and God heard his prayer and had him carried back to Jerusalem. And then from then on, he really tried to do, do right. He, he cleaned out the, the city of, of foreign gods and just did everything he could. And it's sad because it had such a little effect that the writer of Kings didn't even mention it at all. As soon as he died, his son Ammon became king. And what kind of king was Ammon? Just like his dad had been in the early days and not like his dad had been in the end. He only reigned for how long? Just two years. And then his servants 
murdered him. And that then leads us to Josiah, who may well have been the best of them all. I don't, um, of all the kings, the best ones would be Hezekiah and Josiah. Um, you know, there's also Jehoshaphat, but you know, with Jehoshaphat, you can say, well, he married his son off to uh, Athaliah. With Hezekiah, you can say, well, he his pride got the better of him and he showed off his treasures as king of Babylon. But with Josiah, I can't find anything wrong with him. Just wonderful. He started when he was only eight years old, and that may have been what helped him out because his dad, who was so evil, was dead. And someone had to raise him, and, and I don't know who it was, but they obviously did an amazingly good job. And in verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, of course he would have been 16 at that time, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem, he was 20 then, of the high places. And they just went, they did all kinds of stuff, cleansing, they went up into the northern kingdom as well. Um, He's down here, and up here is all, all is the northern kingdom, which now belongs to Assyria. But he went up there and tore down altars, um, burned bones uh, on those altars to desecrate them. Um, then in um, in verse eight, in the eighteenth year of his reign, they start repairing the house of the Lord, and I'm sure it needed. I mean, the kings who've gone before have just treated it with great contempt. And what they find when they were cleaning out the temple? Found a book. A book. The book of the law. And apparently he had never read this book of the law before. I, I don't know that this was the only copy of it, but uh, um, he had never he didn't know anything about it. And so they read it to him. And what did he do? We're in in Second Chronicles thirty four is where we're studying. Uh, go ahead, John. What, he was moved to obey. Put it into a yeah, I think it says he tore his clothes. Even yeah, in verse nineteen, he was so upset because this book of the law warned about what would happen to the people if they went off and served idols. Well, he, I mean, he's seen what they've been doing. He knows that they've been doing all these things that the book says don't do. And, and the warnings were very dire for what would happen. You may recall back in the book of Deuteronomy how God was going to carry them captive to a foreign land if they did these things. So they sent. He, he wanted to find out, is this what's going to happen to us? And who'd they send to? Holda, the prophetess, yes. Now, I don't know why he didn't send to Jeremiah, who was also in, living there at this time. But and this is this is really all we know about Holda. But what did she tell them? Yeah, they are going to happen, but not to you because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God. Now, as it turns out, it could have been in his lifetime if he had lived a normal length of years, um, because it, it, he died. I I forget, like age thirty nine. Let me see here. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah, he died about age 39. And it was only about 22 years after that that the, the whole thing was gone. So that's what, 61? He would have been 61. Yeah, he could have lived that long. 
Um, but God, in His mercy, took him early so he wouldn't see the terrible things. Well, he Josiah didn't just say, oh, fine, as long as it happened in my lifetime, who cares? Hey, that was not his view. He wants to save the people. And so in verse 31, he has everyone make a covenant to obey God. Which, If they if they kept the covenant, they would have been a lot better off. Uh, then in verse in chapter 35, they um, they had a they celebrated the Passover. Now, who was the previous king that had this Passover we, we read about? Hezekiah, Hezekiah and says, "Boy, that was the best time they've done it in, since the days of Solomon." <laughs> well, look down at verse 18. What it says for for Josiah's Passover. There had not been celebrated a Passover like in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. <laughs> so we're going back even before Solomon. <coughs> this was really a great, a great Passover. And um, then, not too long after that, well, actually, that's not true. It says he reigned 31 years. That was in the 18th year. So we kind of jump forward to the 31st year. And Pharaoh Necho is coming to engage in battle on the Euphrates. Big things are happening in the world. You, you've got a transition of power where the Assyrian Empire is on the wane. The Babylonian Empire is on the, ascend, on, on the ascendancy. And Pharaoh wants to be part of the action and make sure that the one he wants wins. So he comes up here, falls on the coast, He's not in Judean territory. And it's not until he gets up to Megiddo when Josiah's army is intercepted because Megiddo is at a mountain pass. Uh, it's a fairly easy place to defend it. It would make a lot of sense if you want to cut off an army to cut them off there. And apparently Josiah didn't want Pharaoh's side to win this battle. But what happened to him as a result? Yeah, he got hit with an arrow and he died. And that was the end of any righteous king in Judah. Um, and so now we're left in chapter 36 with the scraps. It's just really sad. His son, Jehoahaz, was was made king by the people and he reigned three months because Pharaoh didn't like him. So Pharaoh kicked him out, imposed a fine of 100 talents of silver and one talent of gold on the land. And the land, the land is just in bad shape at this point. Uh, they don't have much money. And so he, appoint, he made Jehoiakim to be king. Jehoiakim reigned for 11 years. What kind of a king was he? Just terrible. We'll, we'll read a lot more about him in the book of Jeremiah when we get there. Um, so keep, keep your king's chart handy because you're going to need it later on when we do the prophets. Um, this is the last history book we're going to do where you need it. But the prophets also mention these kings. Um, and it says, He bound him with bronze chains to take him to Babylon. It doesn't appear that he actually got taken to Babylon, but we don't. We don't have the details, but apparently he died before he could go there. Um, so then his son Jehoiakim. This is really this is so confusing. You got um, 
Jehoiakim, and then you have Jehoiakim, his son Jehoiakim, um, who was also an evil king. It says in verse 9 he was 8 years old. In Kings it says he was 18 years old, which to me makes a little more sense for it for it to say he did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's hard to imagine how an 8-year-old could could be either evil or good. But um, he did get carried captive to Babylon after three months. And then the king of Babylon made another guy king. And who was that? Zedekiah. Now Zedekiah was not the son of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was too young to have a, a son, at least of, of, of any kind of age. Zedekiah was um, the brother of Jehoiakim, the brother of Jehoahaz. There were three guys here who were all sons of, of Josiah. And um, what kind of king was Zedekiah? Again, evil. Eleven more years and things were just going from bad to worse during that time. When we do Jeremiah, we'll, we'll read a lot about him as well. And not just him. Notice in verse 14. This is the last chapter of Second Chronicles. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. These were people... Many of them would have been the ones who made that covenant in the days of Josiah. We will obey God. And they broke the covenant. And so, Nebuchadnezzar came in and just slaughtered them. It was just terrible. And we don't get as many details here as we do in Kings. Um, We'll get many more details in Jeremiah and Lamentations read that. But the end result in, in all of these cases was the same. The, um, everyone was out. The, the land was completely forsaken of its inhabitants. Verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. And then in verse 22, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So they sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, and, and so forth. So Chronicles takes us not just to the carrying away into captivity, but it takes us all the way to coming back from captivity, just with this brief mention. Now kings didn't go that far. And kings... It mentioned, I think it was like in the 39th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, um, the, the king, evil Merodach, led him out of jail and, and he ate at his table. And, it, and, and, that, and that's as far as kings went. But with Chronicles, it goes all the way to the coming back. And here's what's so interesting. Turn over the page to Ezra. Next week we're doing the entire book of Ezra. How does Ezra start? First year of the... Cyrus King of Persia. Where did we read that? Yeah. The last two verses of Chronicles are exactly the same as the first two verses of Ezra. They're deliberately intended to join them together. Ezra basically takes up where Chronicles left off. And my guess is that they were both written at the same time, perhaps by the same author even, you know, since it's obvious they're, they're intended to go together. We know that Chronicles was written sometime later than this. It wasn't written like just right after they came back. Because in, in, the, first, in the early chapters of First Chronicles, some of those 
genealogies went down way past coming back into the land. Um, we're, we're talking about decade, at least several decades after they came back from the land, if you, if you pay attention to those genealogies. So it could have been easily written in the days of, of Ezra. So next week, that's what we're going to do. Any questions, comments before we close? All right, appreciate everyone's help.